Welcome to The Weekly Skeptic in association with The Daily Skeptic. This is episode three. I'm Nick Dixon. Later, I'll be joined by our editor, Will Jones, for the week's top stories. But for now, I'm joined by public enemy number one, the most banned man on the internet, the new Alex Jones and Andrew Tate rolled into one. It's our founder and troublemaker, Mr. Toby Young. Toby, what has happened? Something has happened to you. Yeah, I've been cancelled again, Nick. Um, I thought that being cancelled um, in 2018, when I lost five jobs in very quick succession, um, would immunise me against being cancelled again. Um, you know, because after all, all the dirt that had been dug up on me had been dug up. The offence archaeologists had gone as deep as they could, dating back to 1987. There was no dirt left to dig. Um, so I thought I was safe, but that turned out to be um, naive. Um, last week on Thursday, um, I got an email from PayPal telling me that it was closing my personal account because I had violated its acceptable use policy. Um, they didn't tell me how I'd violated the policy, and I had a look at the policy, and it is voluminous. Um, so there was no specifics, but nonetheless, uh, they'd found me guilty, and the punishment was immediate. They'd closed my account. There was no possibility of appeal and no possibility of parole. It was like, you know... <laughs> It made the trial look like a model of a kind of liberal criminal justice system. And but I, th- that was bad enough. And I had, you know, 600 plus pounds in my personal account, which I now can't access. Um, but then within minutes, I then discovered that not only had they closed my personal account, they'd also closed the Free Speech Union account and the Daily Skeptic account. Now, that's much more serious because um, the Daily Skeptic um, gets about a quarter of its donor revenue from people who are processing their recurring donations via PayPal. And the Free Speech Union um, gets about a third of its um, recurring membership dues um, via people using PayPal to process their payments. So, you know, it's it's caused a, a real headache and it, and it and it's actually going to, could potentially seriously damage both the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union. And, um, you know, I, I contacted PayPal initially thinking there must be some kind of mistake. Um, the customer service agents could throw absolutely no light on why all three accounts had been shut down. Um, they said they didn't know above their pay grade. They said you can escalate by complaining. So I complained. Those complaints have been batted back. I wrote to the CEO of PayPal UK. He didn't bother to reply. I contacted the corporate affairs department of PayPal in the US and the UK. Um, And they actually say on their website, reporter on a deadline, ring this number or contact this email address. Well, you know, I, I said, I'm writing about this for the spectator. Can I have a comment? Why have you deplatformed me? And of course they didn't get back to me either. Um, you know, I'm now struggling with, um, you know, reeling from this new attempt to cancel me and trying to kind of, uh, you know, I'm in sort of damage control mode. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's terrible. And as we all know, I think, Nick, withdrawing financial services from, you know, dissidents and nonconformists um, is the new battlefront in the ongoing war against free speech. It's what happened to the truckers in Canada. Um, PayPal has, um, I did a bit of Googling and discovered that um, PayPal has form in this area. So Larry Brandt, a long-time campaigner for internet freedom. Um, His PayPal account was closed in 2021. Colin Wright, um, an evolutionary biologist, used to be a colleague of mine at Quillette, writes often um, about um, trans issues from a kind of gender-critical perspective. His account was closed. Again, no explanation. Uh, In June 2022, he actually contacted PayPal and said, can you give me some reason, some vague indication of why you've closed my account? They said, no, if you want any information from us about why we've done that, you're going to have to subpoena us. Um, They also closed a couple of um, uh, anti-Ukrainian war sites, Consortium News and Mint Press in May of this year. Um, uh, And um, in 2019, they admitted to acting on the advice of the Southern Poverty Law Center about which groups it shouldn't be extending financial services to. And as I'm sure you know, that's a hard left organization that designates everyone to the um, right of Jeremy Corbyn as a hate group. Um, So, you know, I, I mean, I... I suppose um, maybe it was a little naive of me to think that this kind of attack wouldn't be launched against the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union. But uh, I'm still shocked and and reeling from it. It is shocking. Yes, like you say, the SPLC, I mean, they've been sued themselves many times. But um, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about having £600 in there. I just thought, wow, if that happened to me, that would be my 
that's all the money I have in the world. So that would be a real problem if it was frozen. But also the thing that occurred to me was normally one would go to the free speech union. The problem is you are the free speech union. It's like the old joke about the cl- the clown. You know, uh, it's it's. So what are you going to do? Because that who who are you going to turn to? And my, my other thought, while you're there, as a number two, is are you are you too big to cancel? In that, when this happened to talk radio, they got taken off YouTube. It was quickly rectified. Are you so? Because mm-hmm. you're quite mainstream. You're writing in the Spectator about it. You'll talk on you know in the media about this, presumably. Although we have a bit of an yes. exclusive here, but you're going to talk in the media. Maybe will that do anything? Um, I don't know, um, but um, I suspect not. I think in the case of um, talk radio, the head lawyer at News UK sent an extremely threatening letter to the head of um, UK um, uh, and talk radio's channel was restored within 15 minutes, I think, of that email being sent. Uh, we don't have that kind of legal power, legal firepower. We've got, you know, two full-time lawyers who work for the FSU. We've got 50 plus lawyers on our legal advisory council, some of them quite senior. But um, I've, I've, I've traded messages with Colin Wright about his attempts to get his PayPal account restored. And he spoke to um, a lawyer at FIRE, the American pro-free speech organization, which has some pretty good lawyers working for it. And the lawyer at FIRE said, um, you know, I've looked at their terms and conditions. They more or less give themselves permission to do whatever the hell they like. Um, I don't think you know, a lawsuit would be expensive and time consuming and you probably wouldn't get anywhere. Um, so I think these companies, I mean, it, it, there's also jurisdictional problems. I think they're, you know, their corporate, their European corporate headquarters is in um, Luxembourg. So you'd have to kind of um, probably sue them in Luxembourg. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's a nightmare. I mean, yeah, a lot of these kind of um, big tech companies, you know, they, they, they're completely unaccountable. They, they, if they decide to kind of swat you, uh, they can, and there's almost nothing you can do about it. I mean, Alex Berenson recently managed to get himself reinstated on Twitter, but that, I think that was a, after a huge expenditure of effort and resources. And, um, you know, most of us don't have the time or the, or the resources to do that. Um, and I think, you know, I did think about, should I mount a campaign to try and get PayPal to restore uh, financial services to me and the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union? Um, but, um, you know, you kind of think, well, what's the point? Because even if they do do a reverse ferret this time, they could always change their minds again. Um, and you don't really want that. You know, now I know how, how they can make these decisions without really giving you any notice and, uh, you know, at any moment. Um, uh, I don't think I want to be vulnerable to that kind of caprice again. So I think it would be better just to name and shame them and have nothing more to do with them. Yeah, like you say, Berenson eventually got back, but it was it was quite an epic process. And then he he had, had a go at Alex Jones, which I thought was disappointing because to me, you have to side with even quite people you may find unsavory in this battle for free speech. I mean, it, it couldn't get more ironic. The free speech union cancelled by unaccountable big tech. I mean, it's pretty clear cut. But it's, I am surprised it happened to you in a sense because it's happened to people like Laura Luma, let's say, in America. But you have to be usually quite extreme to get banned from these things. Or so I thought. Well, I didn't really think that, but I'm I'm surprised that it would happen to someone like you. But then again, I'm not surprised in the sense that you're going after things like the vaccine efficacy and all these things they really hold sacred. And I was going to ask on that question, what do you suspect it is specifically would be your Mm. guess? Would it be vaccines, ivermectin, that type of thing? Well, it's possible that um, uh, the Daily Skeptic um, ran afoul or upset someone, possibly someone quite senior at PayPal. Um, And because when they looked at, you know, the Daily Skeptic, they discovered that I was the guy who started it. And I also had a personal account and was also a director of the Free Speech Union and the General Secretary of the Free Speech Union, and therefore cancelled all three because of an infraction committed by the Daily Skeptic. That's possible. Um, And in the only, the Telegraph are doing a story about this. I've given the story to the Telegraph uh, for tomorrow's paper. And um, they asked PayPal for a comment and rather miraculously, they got a comment, although it didn't have much substance to it. But um, what PayPal said to them was, Achieving the balance between protecting the ideals of tolerance, diversity, and respect for people of all backgrounds and upholding the values of free expression and open dialogue can be difficult, but we do our best to achieve it. Now, they haven't explicitly accused the Daily Skeptic of um, not 
protecting the ideals of tolerance, diversity, and respect for people of all backgrounds. Um, uh, but, but the implication is that we've done something which, in their view, has kind of crossed that line. Um, though what it is, I've no idea, and I can't think of any. No article kind of springs to mind that kind of um, uh, maybe maybe it's because we've been um, you know running a lot of um, skeptical pieces about the climate emergency uh, recently, and I know that that's been generating a lot of complaints from. Uh, fact-checking organizations. Facebook has um, now warns people if they try and follow the Daily Skeptic on Facebook precisely because of its, um, uh, you know, climate alarmism, skepticism. Um, uh, so maybe that's it. Maybe various kind of lobby groups for the kind of um, green industry um, have been lobbying um, PayPal to demonetize us. It's impossible to know. I mean, that's why it's so Kafkaesque. They don't ever tell you exactly what you've been charged with. They're just these sort of vague policy infractions. Yeah, they've issued you a sort of woke boilerplate there that you didn't match their tolerance, diversity, and whatever other nonsense. They haven't actually said that we've fallen afoul of those values. They've just said, we struggle to balance those values mm. against our commitment to free expression and open dialogue. It's like, well, yeah. Does that mean you think I've been... They don't actually say that, though. They don't actually say, and and we think the Daily Skeptic has crossed that line. It's just, it's just sort of, it's much more vague than that. Anyway, it's bloody frustrating. Closing people's bank accounts without warning or reason due to tolerance. This is where we're at. I mean, it's so, it is so Orwellian. You could just get very depressed, couldn't you, if you, if you thought about it too much. But of course, like, you, I mean, we talk about the unholy trinity of the Daily Skeptic, woke stuff. COVID slash lockdowns and climate. I suppose those are the three big things so it, that they would cancel someone for. Yeah, so <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it generally, there are now some some issues about which you're not allowed to be sceptical, you know, um, within the mainstream media, in polite society. I mean, being sceptical about the lockdowns and associated COVID restrictions, the efficacy and safety of the mRNA vaccines, and the climate emergency is now verboten. Being sceptical about those three topics is now outside, firmly outside the Overton window. And um, you don't just risk not being invited onto Sky News to talk about those issues. You will be demonetized if you talk about those issues in a sceptical way. It's extraordinary. And um, we need to fight back. I think the, I think the, the, insofar as the FSU can do anything about this, I think we're going to lobby the government to put laws in place to prevent this kind of thing happening to other people. We need to protect people from being demonetized by financial services companies for expressing perfectly lawful, but, you know, maverick and dissenting points of view. Yes. And, and to this sounding like your other podcast, at some point when they get rid of cash, they'll just be able to stop your currency immediately. You know, all your money would just be stopped in a digital currency. Yeah, that's why it's so urgent to, to get some kind of legal protections in place, because if we don't, then we'll all be completely at the mercy of these woke financial services companies. Shocking. And I look forward to hearing how you're not really cancelled. It'll be like, well, I went past Toby Young's house and he was, I saw him and he was, uh, yes, he was digging a large ditch and that's his job now, but he's allowed to do that. No one was stopping him. I don't see it. He's not cancelled. He's still alive. He was, he was, he had food. I hate, that's what, you know, that'll be the cancel culture. I'll, I'll, I'll love to hear it. If this isn't cancel culture, what is? Yeah. It's always like you, there's some sort of variation, isn't there, on the Monty Python kind of um, uh, poverty sketch or whatever it's called. You know, it's like, y you haven't been cancelled. You, you, that what happened to you? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, are you still allowed to eat? Yeah, it, it, that, that's where, that's what it will be. I mean, maybe we should, I mean, it's very, I mean, unless you want anything to also add, that makes me think maybe we should go straight to the Graham Norton story because he mentioned something very similar. He said, unless you want to add anything else on PayPal, because that is our biggest story. And I feel like everything else pales in comparison, but we did have the Graham Norton story where he said a similar thing that he said, um, it, that you're not really, cancel culture is, what do you say? He's heavy on the culture, light on the cancel. He's like, these people are still working. It's quiet for six months. Then they're still working. Just absolute standard garbage these people say so graham norton did an interview actually also with the, the telegraph and he said um he said things like you'd had jk rowling on even though her views have been problematic he said the easiest thing would be to not have her on but that didn't seem right we should talk to the people that we disagree with and i would not further any case by not having her on so rowling bad but you can still have her on he then made this bizarre claim that it's hard to get it's very hard to get a right-wing guest and if you do the audience probably don't want to see them which is absolutely bizarre i mean it, it, is it hard to get it right? I mean, that's absurd reasoning. Maybe I'll just add one more while we're here. 
This point I found absolutely bizarre from Norton. He said, um, the, the Telegraph says, regarding accusations that he is pursuing a liberal agenda because of the lack of right-wing views on his shows, he responded, I guess it is a liberal agenda, but reflecting the audience back at themselves doesn't seem wildly liberal unless you only want to see yourself staring back at you from the TV. So that sentence was quite odd because he, at once he's saying, well, we're just reflecting people back at them. And then he's saying it's a second later, it's bad to want to see yourself reflect. What it, what it sounded to me like is he's saying certain people should be reflected. But if you want to see yourself, the, the kind of hated right wing, right wingers and whoever they are, you're weird to want to be reflected. Yeah. And, unless he's saying, he's saying solely yourself reflected, you should want to see everyone. Reflect. But his next sentence is quite revealing. He says, but it's important. And what's good now is that it's easier to do. There was a time when you would scrabble to find a non-white actor the audience would recognize. And that's a kind of weird, almost seems like a non-sector there. Maybe there was an edit. But basically, he's saying... I don't want to reflect you scumbags, which is like me and you, Toby, but we want to reflect everyone else. And that's beautiful. What did you make of the Norton, Norton Gate? Yeah, well, I, I was um, I, I, I took some comfort from this, Nick, because um, uh, when I published How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, I contacted Graham Norton's producer. This was in 2001. Um, and he had a, uh, you know, he had the kind of big talk show on BBC One at that time. Uh, no, I think it was on Channel Four. It was on Channel Four at that time. And um, and I tried to persuade the producer to to have me on as a guest so I could plug the book. And um, my 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 reason was the reason I gave him was that I gave Graham Norton his big break. So when I I edited this magazine called The Modern Review in the early nineties, um, I was going out with an actress called Natasha McElhone at the time, and she was a good friend of Graham Norton's, and he was a struggling jobbing stand-up at that point and she asked me as a favor to her to hire him to do you know 15 minutes 10 minutes at this dinner I'd organized for the um, modern review and so I did and he came along and I thought he was pretty good he was pretty funny Um, and there were lots of journalists there and uh, anyway he was a complete unknown at that point this was in sort of 92 or 93 anyway so I claimed to his producer that I gave Graham Norton his first big break so you know it it was only fair that he returned the favor by having me on his show to promote my book and um he said to me um he was irish he said toby have you ever watched the graham norton show and i said um, oh yeah yeah huge fan and he said yeah because you'll notice that we tend to have household names on the show toby and so his, his reason for not having me on the show was that no one had ever heard of me i was a complete non-entity uh, a nobody um but now i realize nick that wasn't it at all it's because i'm a right-wing voice and graham just doesn't have right-wing voices on his show so it was a great comfort to me they had to say something it's like in comedy when people <laughs> w- were not booked for being the wrong race and gender which i've got in trouble for talking about that was my cancellation but uh, they never used to they, they they'll just say other things instead there's a strange one where they'll say actually it's your race and gender rather than to not offend you. I mean, if, if someone's not very good, maybe it's just they're not very good, but it became a thing in comedy to say, oh yeah, you know, we've got too many white people or something like that. That's actually less offensive than just saying you're rubbish. It's, it's tricky. Yeah, was it because you were right wing? Were you just not well known? It's tricky. Well, I would have, I would have, I, yeah, I suppose, you know, but if they were going to just invent an excuse, um, I would have preferred too conservative to complete nobody yeah 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 but they <laughs> but can't I really say that one. in reality it, it was because i was a complete nobody a bit, bit of both maybe i have to say i, I know both. the actor i remember the actor actress you mentioned there and you, you've done well there toby i mean i don't want to use the phrase punching above your weight but, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you know i think i was punching a bit with her yeah she is um, astonishing a lovely woman how um, famous but, were you yeah, of course but um Not a patch on my wife obviously of course um but yeah, I have to say, well, you must have been quite famous. That is interesting, isn't it, though, that the people don't give back. I mean, I remember Stuart Lee basically resuscitated his career because of a, a favourable quote from Ricky Gervais. And then cut to a few years later, Stuart Lee's doing well, and he's saying in an article that Ricky Gervais should kill himself. And you're like, touch, touch ungrateful. <laughs> I, I, I once said about Stuart Lee that he epitomised everything a comic wasn't supposed to be um and it was at the end of a paragraph in which i'd said that essentially he saw his role in comedy um to um affirm kind of uh consensus progressive woke views and to shame anyone who dissented from those views so it was as though you know he was doing in the sense if, if comics are supposed to you know comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable he was doing the opposite he was 
telling the kind of comfortable, smug, morally self-righteous, privately educated, property-owning, metropolitan liberal elite that they were the moral superiors of these kind of this dispossessed rabble of deplorables whose opinions were completely beyond the pale and who should just ideally be exterminated. And and that was the opposite, I said, of what a good comedian ought to be doing. Um, And he actually took that and stuck it. And he's now in all his promotional literature. Oh, good. You've done well. I mean, yeah, that's a funny thing. (laughs) Just on a Stuart Lee digression. Yeah, he he was very funny back in the day. Let's give credit to him as a his technical chops as a comedian, whatever you think to his views. But he um, he did it. I saw him at Leicester Square Theatre once. He, He had this strange thing where he had to pretend he was still the underdog and sort of was struggling, even though it was sort of his 14th night at the Leicester Square Theatre. <laughs> and he had to sort of pretend that no one was there and it was a Sunday. It was completely full. It was quite a strange. <laughs> and I realized he was stuck in that paradigm of like, I'm the lefty rebel and not realizing or not caring that now you're actually on top. You're on the BBC. You had that show and you're sort of running the culture. And really, he should have adapted his act in some way to that. Maybe he could have said, I'm, I've won and I'm glad, or maybe he could have gone yeah. a different way and become a, a, a skeptic, you know, like, like you, Toby. But he, he just couldn't quite adapt to the new reality. Yeah, no, they're like, they're like the, the rebels who, um, you know, they're, they're, it's almost like, you know, the rebel group in the Star Wars saga, they've beaten the Empire. The Death Star's exploded. Darth Vader is sprawled at their feet, and yet they still think of themselves as a kind of feisty little rebel alliance. They are the victors and have been victorious for the past 25 years. Yeah, I'd love to see that Star Wars <laughs> sequel, just Luke and Leia and those like just insufferable woke idiots. And uh, <laughs> the Empire's, trying, you know, yeah. some of the, the, best, the last dregs of the Empire trying to, you know, mount a sort of feisty rebellion. Uh, Speaking of comedy, shall I go on to you, you said I should mention my comedy story. Now I normally wouldn't be so self-indulgent because do the weekly skeptical listeners really care about Nick Dixon's travails or triumphs? But I actually did have a and it ties into some news stories because it features a uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. So I, I did my first gig in five months. I did a comeback gig um, at the Comedy Unleashed in Bethnal Green at the backyard. And as I said at the time, I did comedy for eleven years, retired, no one noticed. So I've come back and done a, a, another gig. And I, I, I threw in a joke about, um, I said I, my views never aligned with the comedy world. So I was, I was sick of being hated. So I became a GB News presenter. And now I'm hated by a much broader demographic of people <laughs> from across the country. So I, I, and it, it went really well. It was incredible. I, I was back in the zone and I was like, oh, I'm really good at this, <laughs> which I said out loud because it's the kind of person I am on stage. I was like, oh, I'm so good at this. I forgot. And um. And even the mighty Simon Evans gave me some compliments, and and I heard. So it, it, Mr. Evans doesn't doesn't just dole compliments out willy nilly. So you know that you've got somewhere well, then. And I, I have it on good authority. So the main thing is Jordan Peterson was there, the Jordan Peterson, and I have it on good authority from people sitting behind him that he was laughing at my jokes. So I did my set. Then Dominic Frisbee did a little bit. Then Peterson came on, and I thought he was going to do a bit of comedy, or at least you know throwing a few jokes what he did was a sort of children's poem and I thought you know he struggled to follow me a little bit if I'm honest Toby I thought like you've got to <laughs> if you're following Nate he probably, Dixon, you know, he, yeah he yeah he probably did have some jokes he'd written but after seeing you he just threw them in the toilet exactly and he was following <laughs> Dominic to go with the poetry instead yeah yeah I mean what do you do if you're a Peterson at a comedy night I thought it at least open with with something funny the only thing he said was a um Dominic Frisbee did a funny introduction where he said we'd like to give new acts we like to give new acts a go at this club, you know. And so here, here's someone, he's asked to do a short set, blah, blah, blah. And Peterson came up and said, I wouldn't exactly call this a set. And that was about as close as it got to a joke. <laughs> now, I, I, I have to ask you, did um, did you do your, in your set, did you do your Peterson impression? Well, I've been asked about this because, and I may not nail it today, but I have been known to do quite a good Jordan Peterson impression. And everyone was saying to me, you've got to do it, you've got to do it. And I was going, well, like, you, how am I going to do it? I mean, it doesn't make it. There's not. There's no bit attached to it. I haven't done comedy in five months. You don't just go up and become an impressionist and riff out a bit. It doesn't really work like that. And so I was like, well, I don't know. And then I was thinking about it. And then just before the gig, Andrew Doyle, Dr. Andrew Doyle came up to me and said, you're not going to do that impression, are you? <laughs> so <laughs> Andrew's got quite used to managing me because he has to check always on GB News. Um, you know, we're not going to say, but, you know, because of Ofcom and all these things, I'm known as a kind of, the most sensible comedian on, on GB. I never break Ofcom rules. But Andrew, of course, worries about this and people worry about it. So I think Andrew's now ex- extended his reach to just managing me in general. <laughs> Although Comedy Unleashed, he is the co-founder. So he's like, yeah, you're not going to stay. Right. I was like, no, I'm right. not, Andrew, don't worry. 
So yeah, I <laughs> okay. was kind of so, banned. Yeah. And you were there, but you were there later. Yeah, I unfortunately I, I had to do a GB News thing for the Mark Stein show. Um, uh, so I was held up, didn't get there till just after you'd come off. Actually, I missed Jordan Peterson too. Uh, but presumably, you, you the reason you came out of retirement to do that gig is because you had heard that Dr. Jordan Peterson was going to be in the audience and you thought it was just too good an opportunity to pass up. I was told that. I was, people said, you should do this, Nick, because Peterson's there. And I was kind of like, well, how can Peterson actually help me? You know, great man, with all due respect, but how can he really help me? <laughs> Does it really matter if Peterson sees me do comedy? That's how I saw it, perhaps in a sort of very self-involved comedian way. But I did see, yeah, okay, it would be cool. And and lots of cool people are there anyway. And, of course, our friend Liam Halligan was there and many others, Fraser Myers and all these great yeah, people. Yeah, it was a great night. It was like, um, yeah, um, a meeting of the tribe. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I thought about it. I was like, is this a weird sort of comedy that only appeals to these, these, this side of the aisle or something? But when I thought about it, actually, the main bits I did, were all, they all work anywhere. I just set them up a little bit differently. But they all work anyway. So I was thinking maybe I will come Simon Evans was saying I should do a tour. Maybe if I can organize it, I would do a tour for the the hardcore, you know, the Weekly Skeptic, GB News. You know. Maybe, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Nick, maybe we should take this on the road, you know. Um, uh, I, I did I did talk to a, um, a group of promoters about um, me and James doing London Calling live and going on a kind of little mini tour of the UK. And they thought they could, you know, um, sell enough tickets to put us in, you know, 200, 250 seat kind of town halls um, in about, I don't know, a dozen different towns and cities. Um, so yeah, if, 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 if James and I could have done it, I'm sure you and I could uh, could play the big venues. Maybe we could. I wouldn't, I, yeah, definitely an idea. I wouldn't, I, James would hate me as a problem if, if only we did it and he didn't, he didn't get to. So it's <laughs> probably that aspect, but it's definitely <laughs> worth considering. Let us know in the comments and, and but never say anything negative in the comments about me because I'm, I'm very, very thin skinned. Um, let's do our advert because we, we, we have a, our first advertiser, but running for the second week, he's getting a great value for money here. So if you've found the world a depressing and dystopian place in recent years, perhaps now is the time for a therapeutic laugh, which we were just talking about. The new COVID spoof, busting anti-vax myths, seriously expert arguments for the COVID deniers in your life is now available on Amazon. Its supposed author is the fictitious Professor Oshin's son of stupid in the Irish language a man who is a mix of all the worst COVID experts we've had to suffer in recent times. For him, the vaccine is definitely a vaccine because it self-identifies as one and it's vaccine-phobic to suggest otherwise. Sweden's no-lockdown approach was nothing other than a sad descent of a formal liberal utopia into a far-right nightmare. And the Great Reset will leave us all utterly delirious with joy by 2030. Laughter is an excellent anecdote to tyranny and this satire will put a smile back on even the most jaded faces like mine and Toby's. To get your copy, head over to Amazon now and we'll put the links in the show notes. And just once again, that's busting anti-vax myths, seriously expert arguments for the COVID deniers in your life. And now let's go over to Will Jones for his rundown of the top stories of the week. I thought he was called Mr. Will Jones, but it's Dr. Will Jones. I didn't know all this time I was calling him a mere mister, but he's not a medical doctor, guys. So if he offers to give you the Heimlich maneuver or mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, simply walk away. And um, Will, you're here to give us all this week's top stories. And I believe Mr. Biden, President Biden, let's give, let's give correct titles, uh, alleged President Biden has, has claimed the pandemic is over. That's right, Nick. Uh, shock interview this week uh, to uh, 60 Minutes. Uh, President Biden just uh, suddenly started uh, telling his interviewer that, that the pandemic is over in America. Uh, this will come as news to all those imposing federal mandates, vaccine mandates, all those imposing mandates still uh, throughout the country. I'm sure it, it would have come as news to his officials and his advisors, since it seemed to take them by surprise. No one else had, had mentioned this idea of the pandemic being over. So, uh, it'd be nice if he follows through on that. But uh, just this week, we also heard that uh, New York City has gone ahead with sacking another 800 teachers and other school staff uh, from across the city. Um, and that's, uh, that, so that now takes them up to nearly 2,000 uh, sacked uh, school staff uh, from the city because they haven't taken the COVID vaccine. Uh, so if the pandemic really is over, Mr. Biden, uh, then maybe uh, some of these mandates and, of course, the, the ban on unvaccinated travellers entering the US, uh, maybe all these things can be dropped as well. Someone put a, a joke on Twitter. I can't remember who they said uh, Biden was on 60 Minutes and he asked how long the show is, and uh, which I could well imagine. And, and they also put out that message, didn't they, about the, the unvaccinated will all die off this winter. That, that didn't happen, did it? But um, the BBC have also been up to up to their old tricks. They've apparently boasted about getting a Facebook group 
removed. That's right. A shocking story. This one. The BBC had a had a nasty little article on its uh, on its website this week, uh, boasting that they had infiltrated and got Facebook to remove a vaccine injury support group uh, with over two hundred fifty thousand members. So a, a group where hundreds of thousands of people who've been vaccine injured or know people who have been vaccine injured or believe themselves to be so get together and um, to share about their experiences and support one another. And the BBC decided that this was a a fit and proper use of uh, license fee payers money uh, to uh, to infiltrate this group and figure out their codes, their carrot code for syringe and vaccine, and uh, and then get Facebook to to kick them off those nasty people who who don't want to uh, who who want to who want to get together to share their injury about their injuries. Yeah, and they got their top people on this. There was a there was a, something here from Mark Owen Jones, a disinformation researcher. Um, and he he says about the whole carrot instead of vaccine thing. He says, instead of the words COVID-19 or vaccine, they were using emojis or carrots. Initially, I was a little confused. And then it clicked. It was being used as a way of evading or apparently evading Facebook's fake news detection algorithms. Although the way he says that it clicked, this Sherlock Holmes moment for this guy. They're, they're not sending their best will, I fear. Nothing gets past the BBC reporters, do they? <laughs> finest, the country's finest. What a legend. Um, and also Denmark, have uh, they've had something to do with the vaccine that I'm, I'm so cautious about how I phrase it because I don't want to get fact-checked into oblivion. But something has happened in Denmark involving under 50s. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Denmark, uh, which has uh, always been at the cutting edge of being cautious, this is all relative, of course, cautious about the about the vaccines, um, has uh, has said that under 50s in Denmark are no longer able to get the vaccine. They've banned the COVID vaccines for under 50s. Not not all under 50s. They're still allowing uh, those who are high risk or uh, look after people at high risk to get it, but. Other than that, the general population under 50s, they've said they're not eligible, uh, not allowed to get it. It's banned. We ran a story on this and uh, a wonderful fact check uh, website called Health Feedback decided that this was that this was wrong because it didn't went against the narrative or something. And they they fact checked it and they said that. Um, and they made up a quote that wasn't even in the story, and they so they created a straw man, and they claimed that it was it was false and that it wasn't really banned. But actually, it's entirely true. Um, I mean, they haven't passed a law to ban it, but they but if you are under fifty in Denmark and not at high risk, uh, then you then you cannot get a, a vaccine even if you want one. I love that they change what you've said and then fact check it. It's like giving you a statement that you have to read in court and in some sort of kangaroo court, and they're saying your statement is clearly false. Yeah, because you made it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's amazing. Uh, so it's great that uh, Denmark and other countries are starting to recognise that the uh, the risks and the benefits of the vaccines, especially for younger people, don't add up. Yeah, Denmark's been quite based in general recently. They, they've become tough on immigration, tough on the vaccine. Yeah, I like it. Um, and the CDC, I hear, are monitoring safety, or are they? Uh, the US CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, they have admitted that... Now, I have to be careful how I say this. We can't say that they lied. I'm sure it was entirely unintentional, but they have admitted that they were not accurate when they claimed that they had been monitoring the vaccine safety for uh, in 2021. So throughout the whole uh, from the vaccine rollout at the end of 2020 to through the whole of 2021 um, and up to March 2022, they'd originally said, of course, that they were monitoring very carefully and thoroughly the rollout of these experimental mRNA vaccines. But now they've admitted that that actually was not the case. Uh, that it was not not true. Oh, whoops! What a what a what a what an oversight to to make there. Just must not have realised. But they didn't. Um, and so what they've now said is they but they did run some safety monitoring between March and uh, May or June um, this year. Um, and so and so now they know that how how safe or not safe the vaccines are at least on this um, from this monitoring. Um, and do you want to know what they found, Nick? I'd love to know. Yeah, so would I. Unfortunately, the CDC uh, won't tell us. They have have been asked, obviously, and they've refused to disclose or release or publish the data from this belated vaccine safety monitoring. So uh, read into that what you will. Hmm, maybe the BBC should check their Facebook group. Um, one more story. the Some unexplained deaths in Australia. So undertakers are struggling. There are these unexpected deaths happening and they can't think what it could possibly be, Will. 
Yep, so Australia, the undertakers are finding that they're rushed off their feet and they're uh, complaining that they're, that they're, well, I say complaining, that, uh, I don't know if they're complaining, but let's just say business is is brisk uh, for undertakers in Australia. They are, a lot of people are dying more than more than usual. Uh, the undertakers have noticed this. and But what they've, what they've said is that it's not just COVID. It's, uh, there's, there's other things uh, that are killing people or, or something else that's killing people at a much higher rate. So this is obviously pretty worrying. It's something we've seen in the UK. We've been following it on the Daily Skeptic. And also new figures from the European Commission have shown that this has been happening across Europe as well. Um, so some uh, one of the undertakers uh, was interviewed by the Daily Mail, I think, and and offered some some reasons in his view might be contributing to this this wave of of unexpected deaths. And he came up with too much processed food. He suggested, um, or staying up late, uh, drinking alcohol, uh, stress maybe, or our lifestyles, uh, which. Uh, there's obviously a lot more processed food being eaten in Australia. What do you think? Yeah, there's been a sudden spike in processed food and staying up late since 2020. Everyone's, this is what happened, Will. Everyone started, the, the pandemic came along, then it was lockdown. People, they started watching Tiger King and they got so into it, they just started staying up all night. Now they're in a pattern and it's killing them in record numbers. I, I think that, that must be it. I don't think there can be anything else that could explain. I, I don't think there's anything else that people are are doing or, or putting into their bodies uh, at, um, significantly different from previous years. I don't know. Do you? Can you think I of agree. Anything? And I think the fact checkers will agree with us. There is nothing else. It's processed food and our lifestyle. Um, is, is that it? Well, anything else you want to add or should we, should we wrap up for this week? But, well, there's plenty more on the website. So if uh, uh, listeners want to um, head over and check out those stories and, and um, everything else that we've been uh, writing about this week, yeah. Yep, go to dailyskeptic.org. And thanks, Will. We'll catch up with you again next week. That is Dr. Will Jones, our editor. He is a doctor, but don't take his medical advice because it's probably dangerous misinformation. All right, so we're, we're trying a new section in the show called Peak Woke. We, we need a little jingle or something, peak woke. And this is uh, where we nominate our most woke event of the week. And, and there's no shortage of material. So I'm going to nominate Kaliso Wing. So the, the Pentagon launched a probe into one of its diversity officers for historic tweets. And this was Kaliso Wing, who is an army veteran and the current chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer at the Department of Defense's Education Activity Office. And she had written, I'm exhausted with these white folks with an X in these sessions. And she said uh, a few other things. She said, this lady had the caudacity. I thought it was caucasity, but apparently she said caudacity, as in the Caucasian uh, people are bad, to say that black people can be racist too. I had to stop the session and give Karen the business. And then she says, we are not the majority. We don't have power. So it was this bizarre, I mean, everything's in that that you need. I mean, she has a go at her for cordacity. Then she calls her a Karen, which some people call a racial slur. It's certainly a slur. Then she talks about we don't have the power, and um, which was, and she even said being anti-racist means being active against racism. You will never arrive. Stop centering this on whiteness. I thought that you will never arrive was revealing because it says you can never beat this. This will carry on forever. And she also said I'm exhausted by 99% of the white men in education and 95% of the white women. Where can I get a break from white nonsense for a while? And uh, if another Karen tells me about her feelings, I might lose it. I mean, more sympathy there, but it's it, this is an absurd. So this this is the sort of thing we need to start calling out, and we need to start calling it what it is, which is, which is racism. Sometimes when this happens to white people, white people go, oh, it's divisive, or oh, it's not very nice, and we get a bit pathetic. But if we, if we refuse this leftist premise that racism is about power, which I believe we should, then this simply is racism. She says here, we don't have power. But that is a recent leftist woke definition of racism. It, until five minutes ago, it just meant discriminating on, on the grounds of race. But then they added this power element, which led to absurd things like Munro Bergdorf saying that white people have privilege even if they're homeless. So this is where you get this. Anyway, so she's actually being, there's a probe and an investigation. I don't know what's going to happen about that. But what do you think to this? One thing that, that, last week um, and this week gave the lie to the um, woke shibboleth that only white people can be racist because as you say it's allied with power and all white people are supposedly privileged um, uh, what gave the lie to that was the race riots that broke out in Leicester between two different groups of non-whites between India 
cricket fans of um, Indian heritage and Pakistan cricket fans of Pakistani heritage. Um, and, um, and you feel like, you know, um, this I think is a good illustration of why the, you know, anti-racism professionals um, shouldn't just focus exclusively on white racism. Um, because if by doing that, they've neglected to address pockets of racism in some of our major cities, um, which are now fueling race riots on the streets. Um, you know, uh, they need to think about the racist attitude of people of Indian heritage towards people of Pakistani heritage and vice versa, um, which is clearly, you know, that kind of sectarianism erupting on the streets of Britain in our major cities suggests that, um, you know, they've got their definition of racism wrong. And unless they get it right, um, they're not going to be doing much to tackle race riots breaking out over the next couple of decades. That was shocking and disturbing. And I thought something quite interesting on, on that event was Julia Hartley Brewer's tweet and David Aronovich's response. So Julia writes, hundreds of young Muslim and Hindu men wearing masks or balaclavas are in violent, running street battles against each other night after night for three weeks, not in India or Pakistan, here in Leicester. This must be the cultural enrichment we've heard so much about. And then Aronovich replies, this is straightforward racism, Julia. You should be ashamed. Now, my problem there is, he's objecting to a phrase she uses, I suppose. But my, my problem there is it's this thing of calling out the language around the event rather than the event itself or the, the description of the crime rather than the crime itself. Surely after Telford, we've learned that we can't do that anymore. We have to just say what it is. And I thought Aronovich trying to the sort of liberal media, trying to police Julia there for a perfectly reasonable point. I thought was I thought he should be ashamed personally. What do you think, Tom? It, well, no, it's absolutely typical, isn't it, of the kind of liberal metropolitan elite that um, they're much more concerned and are much more morally outraged by someone using faintly inappropriate language to describe an episode like that than they are by the episode itself. I mean, we we saw it on a much larger scale with the grooming gang scandals in places like Rotherham, that the metropolitan liberal elite was largely silent about those events, but very vociferous about anyone who, you know, um, drew attention to the ethnic origins of the groomers, you know, as though, as though that was a far more heinous sin than actually raping children. Um, but yeah, so it's nothing new. Um, I think I, I can trump you um, with my, uh, with peak woke. Um, yeah, what's your peak woke uh, of the uh, week? My peak woke is the um, teacher of manufacturing technology at Oakville Trafalgar High School in Ontario, Canada, um, who showed up to class um, wearing a giant, and I mean giant pair of prosthetic breasts. She looked like, um, for those of a certain age, um, Kenny Everett, when Kenny Everett dressed as a woman, except I think the prosthetic breasts of this particular teacher were even larger than Kenny Everett's fake boobs. Um, and where it kind of um, hits the peak woke-ometer um, is that instead of uh, condemning you know, um, th this trans teacher for showing up with these ridiculous comedy breasts. Um, it defended her um, uh, and it said uh, in a statement to parents, we strive to promote a positive learning environment in schools consistent with our values and to ensure a safe and inclusive environment for all students, staff and the community, regardless of race, age, ability, sex, gender, identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, ethnicity, religion, cultural observance, socioeconomic circumstance or body type sizes. As though the only possible objection to this teacher um, was not the fact that she was wearing these enormous prosthetic breasts, but that, you know, she just had an unusual body size. Yes. I mean, it, it, ludicrous. And you got so worked up that you threw your microphone across the room. Yeah, I know. It, it's, yeah. It, it, I must be a transphobe. <laughs> <laughs> this story was so appalling. I couldn't even, I read up on it briefly, but I struggled because the picture is so disturbing to me that I just could barely even look at it. I mean, it was just so obscene. And I was just imagining being a kid. I mean, I don't know what's happened to children these days. In our school, growing up in the north, a comprehensive school in the 80s, or 90s, I suppose, by secondary school, she'd have got, or this person, is it a he or she? I don't know. They'd have got absolutely hammered so badly by the pupil. I mean, they, they couldn't have survived because just the absurdity of it. I mean, I mean, we, we hammered teachers for far less than that. I mean, I don't know if this is like, an, I suppose it's Canada, isn't it? So they're all ultra polite and they're, and we're in woke times, so it must be different. They wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes at my school, I'm telling you. No, they wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes at my school. Sorry. <laughs>
So that was that. I mean, yeah, you probably did some my peak work. I didn't know it was a competition, but now it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and win in future. And um, should we touch on then? Because I can win here. Your recantation is that a word? Your your kind of your 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 repentance on rings of power. I mean, you were bigging up a couple of weeks ago, rings of power, and I was explaining to you why it's evil and wrong from a Tolkien fan perspective. And now you've come to me, you've sent me a message the other day saying, maybe you were right. And you highlighted some of the appalling writing in the show, which there is that. And I've seen some terrible scenes from the show, but I also want to pick up on one other thing, which has been annoying me for a few weeks. When you said to me on this very podcast, well, blah, 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 colorblind casting, you were sort of in favor of colorblind casting. And I wanted to point out, it isn't actually colorblind casting because we wouldn't see and shouldn't see, let's say, a movie about slavery in the Deep South in America at the time of slavery. We don't see white slaves. We don't see a few Chinese slaves. There's not a a Romanian guy thrown in there because it would be absurd. So it only goes one way with so-called colorblind casting. It only goes towards the West is evil, you know, white people are evil and so on. It's woke casting, really. So, And by the way, so one, it's not colorblind casting. Two, colorblind casting is stupid anyway. If it's any other job, I'm absolutely for colorblindness of course, but acting is the one job pretty much where it can't actually be colorblind because you're obviously depicting events and it doesn't make sense. That's my critique of your critique of Rings of Power. Yeah, I think um, yeah, a good point about colorblind casting. You don't often see, you know, um, white people, you know, cast as Othello, for instance. And, and that's partly because the rationale for colorblind casting is to give actors of color more work um, because there just aren't enough parts of colour um, for all of them to be employed um, if you don't ignore the colour of the people they're supposed to be playing. Um, but um, yeah, I take your point. Of course, it's um, it's unidirectional. Um, and um, yeah, no, I think I sent you, what I sent you was not just designed to highlight the bad writing, although I'm sure it did, um, but it was that absurd scene um, oh, yeah. in which um, uh, a leader of a kind of... Um, uh, human rabble in Numenor um, is complaining about the elf um, and saying, these elves coming to our country, taking our jobs. And it was like, a, a, Send it, was, them back. it was clearly they tried to shoehorn in um, a kind of um, a condemnation of populist anti-immigration rhetoric, you know, aimed at Ron DeSantis. It was like, um, or Donald Trump. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a gratuitous bit of, of um, woke shoehorning, I thought, and uh, and I suddenly thought maybe Nick was right. It isn't just <laughs> the colorblind casting um, that he's um, uh, pinpointed. There's something else going on here as well. Yes, uh, yeah. The screenshot you sent was elf workers taking your trades, <laughs> and the critical drink had written. <laughs> My goodness, the subtlety and panache of these writers is breathtaking. Truly, Tolkien <laughs> would be proud of what they've done with his legacy. Yeah, so absolutely obscene. There was a there was um um. A review of a book. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was um, uh, a a book by um, a uh, loyal communist in Soviet in the Soviet Union, um, who'd apparently um, adapted Lord of the Rings, but um, portrayed the hobbits as the kind of bourgeoisie and the orcs as the proletariat, and in this kind of alternative history version of the Lord of the Rings saga, the orcs win and establish a kind of utopia on earth. And the the bourgeois hobbits and their aristocratic elfin allies are defeated. Um, And, uh, and, and, you know, and and I think the person who'd written the book um, about this book um, uh, was ridiculing, you know, this attempt by a Soviet propagandist to kind of harness the story for purposes which were completely at odds with those of Tolkien and then ended with whoever would have thought of anyone doing such an absurd thing today, you know, um, clearly drawing attention to the rings of power. Yeah. Um, well, Sargon of Akkad uh, did a uh, Lord of the Rings is pro-Hobbit propaganda video, but I didn't. I haven't watched it because I, I refuse to even go there. I did click on a video the other day, um, Lord of the Rings from Sauron's perspective. <laughs> I, have started, I have started watching some of these. I was such a Tolkien nerd, I started watching some of these things, and that was pretty interesting. It didn't really say Sauron was right or anything, but it, 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 yeah, there, is, there are other perspectives there. I watched a 20-minute video about Tom Bombadil, as I may have said, so I'm kind of... I go deep down the Tolkien rabbit hole. But it's good that Toby that you've admitted 
that you were completely wrong on that. And are you, so you're going to stop watching it? Because I'm such a purist. I will not watch. I'm, I will never watch it just on principle. Yeah. Well, that, that was, I think, one of my objections to your blanket condemnation of it as kind of unspeakable woke nonsense you hadn't actually seen an episode at that stage and you still haven't by the sounds of it um, no no uh, and I, I know quite I'm right enjoyed episodes one and two okay. you probably are right but uh, no I'm still going to watch it I think I'm going to stay with season one I mean one of the problems is as James and I discussed on the most recent episode of London Calling is that you know it's a bit like um part one of the Lord of the Rings trilogy in which you know a lot of it is world building exposition building up the characters and you kind of you're waiting for all of the kind of building blocks to be put in place so then the kind of then the kind of drama can explode um and that really hasn't happened yet in in um Rings of Power but I'm hoping if I stick with it there will be some genuinely kind of compelling dramatic scenes again I mean if, I disagree because if you think about Fellowship of the Ring the ring raids come in pretty early they're already scary there's there's classical music there's slow-mo scenes you're like these guys are scary and they're, they're in there pretty early and so I think it builds tension very very quickly but uh, by the way I've never seen any other Matrix films other than the Matrix which is one of the greatest movies of all time but I have no desire to see the other ones and I again I think I'm completely yeah. right no, you're right about that. I think um, Matrix is uh, two and three are so bad they actually do taint Matrix one. You, you think maybe I overestimated it. If the same guys with the same characters, the same team created such unbelievable dreck, maybe maybe I should go back and rewatch one and reevaluate it. Right, I stick with there are three Star Wars films. There are one, there's one Matrix film. And and that's it. That's how I live. Um, so as usual, you know, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments if they're nice about me. You can challenge me on that Star Wars Matrix point, but please do it constructively. And um, and I would normally say go to dailyskeptic.org and donate, but not on PayPal. How are they going to donate now? No, to- that's right. But we we've we've removed all the PayPal buttons on our from our donate page. So. Please go to dailyskeptic.org forward slash donate forward slash and um, donate because we need money now more than ever. Now that PayPal have demonetized us, we may lose up to a quarter of our revenue as a result of that. So um, it's, 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 it's more important than ever. Every little counts. And there's no risk that the money will just go to directly to PayPal and they won't give it to us. We've, 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 we've now eliminated them from the site. Yes, and in future, I can see you perhaps having to set up entire infrastructure, your own payment systems, and all this kind of thing. In your own, you know. No, then they'll rue the day they cancelled me, won't they, Nick? I'll set up a rival to PayPal <laughs> and I'll put them out of business. Yes, I've how Elon Musk started in this world. <laughs> That'd be amazing. All right, so please do that. We definitely need you more than ever. And if you want to follow me, it's at Nick Dixon Comic on Twitter, and of course, Toby's at Toadmeister. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>